0: Welcome to The Practice Podcast, conversations probing the nature of practice. I'm your host, Dave Firon. Here's another conversation that I had with my son, Dave Jr., and it builds on all the other episodes that you've heard the two of us speaking with each other over about two years now uh, that we've been doing this. The basis of both of our thought is something called social inaction. And in order to understand practice, which is almost entirely social, no matter what practice we're thinking of, you have to understand conversation, you have to understand uh, all kinds of things that we sort of see but take for granted. So we can't quite look as deeply as Dave does and helps me do, and helps us do. This time, still drawing from the work of George Herbert Mead, who was a philosopher, scientist of two centuries ago now, his, his thought is still very pertinent to understanding practice and social inaction. And this time, we got to a point of looking at languaging, Language, languaging, and how words make the difference in our human species in terms of how we uh, help each other get through life in a social fashion. So here is uh, someone I'm very proud to have you know, at least by ear, David Vieron Jr. And me. (laughs) <laughs> it's time for another <laughs> dave and dad conversation we left off with dave with our conversation about our our favorite philosopher george herbert mead and his uh one of his many concepts but the one that focused on the act act in fact i played off of that Uh, When I wrote the lesson for that episode, and I've used it a couple of times since uh, to point out that practice occurs at the point of action or the act and that before and after the act, something else, anticipation and reflection. So where do you want to take us now? Uh, Is there more mead, Dave, that we can learn from? There's plenty of more mead. And um, where I... uh
1: wanted to go next I think is is tying in several of our past podcasts um where where I was using mead who who did most of his um writings in in the um late eighteen hundreds early uh nineteen hundreds and first you know kind of the first three decades of the twentieth century um and tied it into some of the other podcasts that we did on um neuro physiology and that level of consciousness um but we hadn't really taken it all the way to that next step of language where we are kind of connecting it to where we started our conversations about the the social inaction level which is um uh, pretty much you can frame as language in social interaction uh and uh other you know the the other brain models we t- we're talking about, including um, what we were talking about last time, where the act applies pretty well to other animals. Um, other other animals have this. Um, you know, we share with other animals action that isn't the simple sim- stimulus response reflex model. That's that's where I saw Mead as as uh, early on. I think without overinterpreting him having the kind of systems self-organizing um uh view that that is much more prominent now where you're looking at how acts are um oriented towards um um you know optimizing systems for basically survival at one level but but which means that the, it, it, between perception and action is the whole internal world that ties in emotions, that ties in um, prediction of so of what might happen, and then um, confirmation of what did happen with um, learning and evaluation and adjustment that becomes so that so that you have. Um, action that's a that's basically a course of um getting things that are we deserve more attention and getting them down to where they don't have as much attention and become kind of that level of unspoken practice um Mm -hmm. and and knowing how that that relates so um so so we started with with you know to means notion of the act where um acts acts um i i was kind of defining it as the actual conscious act what you'd actually experience and and know that's occurring um is something that where where they start with an impulse that is um, largely based on emotions um, mm-hmm. that emerge into um not just perception but a sensory motor relationship and one that literally builds up experience of, of the perceived objects in the world that are not just pure perception of, of you know, photons hitting your eye, but are really built up around anticipating how you're going to manipulate or contact the world. Um, and me defined this as, as meanings, the meanings of objects in the world are, are these tendencies to act um, towards them. Which, which become what categorizes them, what distinguishes them from other things and, and um, really makes them real, makes them experiences rather than just kind of the background, brings them forward into attention. And, um, and then a- as you complete the act, the, the consummation stage is, again, that evaluative phase where you're kind of looking at the adequacy of what you did and how well it fits your predictions and, and works mm-hmm. with other people. And to some some extent, whether you've been eaten or killed in the process and or survived
0: <laughs> for another day. And that's what most other animals are. Some other animals can kind of do that more or less. Uh, yeah. But and I'm anticipating, what, and again, what you're going to say about about uh, language, because um, and what I'm hearing is that in, in, in ways perhaps different than we humans, meaning is made. At the point of act, by uh, all sentient creatures. Yeah. But to them, it's not meaning that we can put words to. So I'm jumping ahead on on your talk here. But yeah, uh, I I think I think it's exciting that there's something in addition to what any other sentient being does at the point of act, than uh, than just you know getting ahead for the next five seconds or or five five minutes
1: yeah yeah and i think what Mead had was a a nice way of framing the, the just the difference between the acts that we share with other animals and what's distinctly um different about human beings and the use of language and how there are a certain different type of of acts that literally takes um parts of the brains that that other animals uh, don't have, or at least not not in the developed form. So, um, so Mead would start looking at animals uh, by as a social as a particular type of, of class of action, which he would refer to as a social act, the, the acts that involve um, in which the object is another animal um it could be you know another animal that's a predator but um it's easiest to think about as like your fellow animals especially if animals in a herd or group Mm. or or or, um you know family unit something like that with other animals acts become not just you know reacting to static things in the world but a mutual adjustment they're going to act towards me and i'm going to act towards them and we have to adjust to each other's action in a systematic way And what he um, talked about was the particular role of gestures, um, particular characteristic movements, but also sounds. Certainly um, the sounds animals make um, are certainly there for a reason. So the growl, the dog that growls when they meet another dog, Mm -hmm. the growl becomes an anticipation of particular categories of action. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know it's it anticipates a, a fight or an attack or but by virtue of um having that anticipation the animals can also back off knowing that an attack could come the growl becomes a substitution for the full act mm-hmm. and so this um you know the way that gestures could come shorthands for bringing forth um you know possible outcomes and and also categorizing certain behaviors is something that um uh, many animals started doing just just about as you know you could probably find it among fish or something but certainly birds and and mammals um sure and and um you know reptiles and others this is a real thing and and with mammals and birds, it becomes much more um, nuanced and and many animals have quite a variety of a different um, um, different gestures and also kind of sequences of or, or meat called conversations of gestures, um, growls and sounds and and uh, visual behaviors. Mm. So um, one thing he noticed about the uh, the sound gesture, um the animal could hear itself growl the dog could hear itself bark or um and for um you know apparently for the primates this this uh vocal gesture um was something that could focus on for even more development so um you know like a herd be it's it's very socially oriented so like you know animals in a herd the the call the warning call all the animals might run including the animal that made the call but um having that particular sound call out what could be done with it you know the 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 brains could kind of uh, and, and the social groups could could kind of evolve around doing more with those anticipated actions. um, And what that that might be available upon hearing them so so um, once vocal sounds starts to fall into more categories and also more abstracted more abstracted substitutes for complex sequences and courses of action. And in a in a strong social group setting like like primate groups or or you know the early early hominids um out out on the you know savannas um as, as little tribes getting getting by um those the you know the ability to do more things with those abstracted um sounds becomes more important to survival so that's where Mm -hmm. you start getting what we might properly call the symbolic aspects Mm -hmm. of consistently coupled actions to particular sounds that are held within the species and then and even learned within the group um so the notion there is that this this um what what later became to be called the, the symbolic level of interaction becomes a basis of of self-organization um with increasing complexity that that is in a way distinct from from other um basic ba- behavior based interaction of other animals um so you, you can kind of think of and we still experience this ourselves so as we kind of have a um kind of unreflexive uh interaction with the world where we might be paying attention to for example as we're driving turning the wheel doing all that kind of stuff another layer of us can be having a conversation and it's distinct Um, that's right so and i think you can start thinking of this as almost a first level and a second level consciousness hmm and we could talk about that next, but I'll take a breath and see if you have any questions. <laughs> no, so far. I,
0: I'm I'm following it. It's very logical. L- okay. Logical is probably not the right word because um, <clears throat> first I will point out that re- arriving at the point of symbolic sounds uh, that carry more meaning than just a moment to the hurt takes thousands of years. <laughs> this didn't happen. Or oh, maybe there were moments where it, quickly evolved as the evolution works, but by and large, the the primate, the hominids, you know, were around a long time. But probably what was going on with the brain development was they were noticing more things. They mm-hmm. were taking into account uh, changing conditions, the freezing, the ice age or whatever, the uh, uh, different uh, attacks from different kinds of things. So they're for survival purposes, they had to get uh become more aware and get smarter about what that is, yeah probably firsthand, but then starting to convert those awarenesses into what you're going to talk about next, <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> yeah and it's just a little side side point there it did it did happen actually remarkably fast apparently um I think two hundred and fifty thousand years ago what the um the The identifiably current um human brain was was you know homo sapiens sapien brain was was kind of there almost Mm. all of a sudden with very very um remarkable changes to the structure of the brain and and even the the dna Mm. that um you know such such changes that you know that you know some people speculate aliens must have tinkered with us, but <laughs> I think more more modern uh um, looks at DNA could they actually do show that that it doesn't have to f- follow so much gradual selection of of mutation once you have such a dominant um social you know kind of next order in this case social order organization that is absolutely crucial to survival yes um. know the the brain and the dna (laughs) accommodate that and 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 those and 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 you quickly have just those those ones surviving so um it may be aliens but um in any case the the brains that we have now really haven't changed that much in 250 thousand years interestingly so whatever we have must work pretty well and and so but and I think we could think of it as kind of, you know, the the, the first level of awareness that we talked about um with like Mark Solmes and and Carl mm-hmm. Christen, you know, involving the brainstem and emotions, those are all there. That gets gets us kind of our, our basic awareness um that is um that also has that that immediate observer brought forth. Um coupled to the emotions emotional experience um and that you know that gets back into markov blankets and free energy things that we don't need to go into again but you know or and also neuronal groups that we talked about with with uh, gerald edelman um you know you could start building kind of a map of one level but then there's there's a next level so that first level gives you operations of distinctions of a world um, a world made up of kind of simply simple, direct, meaningful objects in which um, you can when people can act um, and manipulate, most often just with actual contact experience with things in the world, like driving your car and turning the wheel mm-hmm. um, and uh, with other uh animals um that those extend into the social objects um with with varying complexities um around usually threats or survival needs food grooming um social basic social but with the symbolic gesture added to that that becomes in a way a distinction acting upon these other distinctions mm-hmm. um because you have this uh predicted course of action that's called out um just with the vocal gesture or even the substitution of a written word that then becomes available for the next act in which those symbols themselves become the domain of actions and domain of constraints and categories so this is what sometimes is called um, languaging the act of bringing forth this language domain or um, others have called symbolic interaction but Mm-hmm. um you know from from Mead came a, an area of of sociological social psychology called symbolic interaction mm-hmm. um, like herbert bloomer one of mead's students was was the one who coined that term but but they started to focus a little bit too much on the on the symbol and uh, as though the symbol had an inherent meaning and i think ah. the, what i've been talking about with social and action is that um the symbol doesn't contain anything it's yeah. it's this achievement that's happening but it's uh, but it's happening with this first and second layers of of um of self-organization so i mean it's getting a little abstract but but it's it's interesting i think and and you can also think of that that more simple or um that's more simple. Sense is still there. Um, like you can think of um, how we perceive things at a distance. So other animals can can act towards things that are that are separate from themselves. You know, the the cat sees its food bowl across the room.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the the cat is anticipating the contact manipulation of the object before it's contacted, and that's yep. something we all do at the first level. But in the second level those anticipated manipulations become available um, almost as holes in themselves. You, you're, you're kind of um, treating contact with things that are themselves symbolic. So you're kind of extending distance into imagined past, imagined future, and also the points of view of the social others who are around you. Mm. Um, and yet there's all still, you know, have that dynamic of the act, the impulse, the, mm. the perception, the manipulation of consummation, but, but with this next level of complexity. Mm. Um, and and it still keeps those kind of those basics of these being um, uh, predictive action and con- and confirmation and, and the kind of things that we were talking about with, with, um, Carl Friston and and those enact and action and activist cognitive models so mm-hmm. so language is there I've done that and I haven't heard too many of them kind of make that next leap into thinking about language per se in quite the way that that Mead does um um so and I, you know you I'll, know I'll maybe next time I'll talk a little bit more about the mechanics of of language that that Um, uh, come from like the traditions of conversation analysis and some of the things that we talked about in earlier podcasts but Mm -hmm. um, the next thing I wanted to talk about is how what this implies for the social self
0: yes now before you do Mm -hmm. the, the word language is one of those kind of words that everyone's heard used and has their own idea of what it means or would go and see if there's a standard definition. Uh, when you just mentioned language, you, you mentioned her, uh, Mead's idea of languaging mm-hmm. as a, as it almost lo- sounds like a practice, something that you, you have to do mm-hmm. and not just use, but it's, it's, it's a, it's act, it's an activity in a way. Yeah. I mean he didn't learn
1: use that particular word, but I it's been used um especially I've by heard um, it. I've heard it used. Yeah, it's used uh, um I haven't done a particular podcast on on autopoesis and self-organization, but uh, uh, Umberto Maturana used to use that that term um, pretty much in the way that that um I have with the, the social inaction concepts. But um mm-hmm. yeah it's 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 a good term. It's not just You want to get away from the the staticness of it because that's not what we're focusing on even words on a page that's a it's a it's a certain sort of preservation but it's not it's it's nothing but but ink and yeah and and paper until until you read and reading is just another form of of interaction with oneself
0: yeah so now you're going to take us to the social self yeah so uh,
1: mead had some uh nice kind of easy to understand notions of this of the self that um i think were pretty unique for the from for the time um he spoke of what we would consider this first level consciousness that and uh, uh, that other animals would have as a as a self but one that he called the I. um it's this Enacted awareness, this observer that's brought forth from the basic interaction with the world while one's awake and, and, um, you know, going from act to act. So in any act, any act would include this reflexive, um, emergent observer, um, that is, you know, basically experience what it feels to be me, what it feels to be awake and doing things is -hmm. something that you know if you are meditative and and focus on it you'll feel oh i i am aware but it's 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 largely just kind of this reflexive largely unnoticed awareness Mm -hmm. the kind we might experience while we're driving a car and Mm -hmm. you know you're not the eye is kind of keeping you from (laughs) hitting other people and making those little adjustments but Mm You know, it's it's when you when you focus and start talking to yourself about it. That's something else. That's what he calls the me. So the the me, me, the me, yeah. So you have the I doing the work, but it's the me that emerges as a, a a symbolic object in the same way other symbolic objects might. So in the way um what i talk when i talk about myself or refer to myself or think of it as it's it's me not you who just did a thing that is me calls that much like any other social object it's special in a way because i have this persistent coherence that lets me know that the difference between me and you or me and them Perhaps only by virtue of having also at the same time this consistent, uh, persistent experience of the I. Got to work together. Uh, in a yeah, way, they yeah. have to work together. Um, but the, you know, the the me, in that sense, is always something that's changing and very situated. So it's it's me. Um, it's not just me in general it's me doing this now it's me having this conversation it's me as as implicated or, or indexed um within within my talk as i say something that makes that distinction between what i'm doing and what you're doing who's on this part of the conversation um, um it, so so there's always that relatedness to other usually uh, direct others um, when we're talking to someone or thinking about someone um but it's also the self that we talk about or refer to um, and uh, and it could also be eventually rather generalized a generalized sense of of self and other that that we experience, so
0: like a tribe or
1: yeah, or group. Um, I mean you could think of it in terms of, of child development, um, which me does talk mm-hmm. about. Um, you know, at first the the infant um um really is at that level one uh mm-hmm. conscious awareness. Um, but you know, mm-hmm. right right from birth, there's always there are already some built-in interactions of between gays, like um you get these patterns of gaze with, with, the with the mother looking and looking away in a very rhythmic way. Um, and, um, you know, it's not too long before, even before words are there, this, this, this more complex social, um, kind of social level of interaction is starting. Um, Mm -hmm. but, you know, the, the, the child really just has an eye. It's not really the me coming out until the, um, most clearly until a child is able to speak. Hmm. Um, and so, but initially the child is, is focusing on, you know, the, the real, the, the immediate others in in the world. Yeah. But might um, it might become, uh, you know, there's ways that, that the other in in relation to self become, can become more abstract. They can, Mead says uh they people children and everyone starts to uh, take the role of the other um in perceiving and anticipating what the self should do so Hmm. you know i i i don't um grab the hot stove um just because i anticipate being burned but because um my parents have have um somehow demonstrated what it is to have something hurt you know remember that time you got hurt this way that will hurt you even more you know kind of getting those concepts so that once they
0: understand words then they can be taught in the sense things yeah that so they don't need a direct experience to, to to understand what what might happen if they do certain
1: things, yeah, or taking the role of the other. So, so my big sister got to do this. I'm putting myself in her shoes and saying, "Wait, I didn't get to do that, but this, but she gets to." Um, and and also, you see a lot with child, children's play. I mean, that's where it really becomes clear. It's start, children yeah. start to play with dolls and play with trucks and start to mimic the world of of the adult. Mm-hmm. and this is um this is uh, uh, universal in fact um uh, mark solms had, had talked a little bit more about how play is is essential for any any animals at least the mammals mm-hmm. and um you know here it is now um instrumental to actually developing uh language and 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 the social the social level of consciousness yeah so um so yeah so we so we live in a world with with uh you know the i but but the what we're often focused on is is the me um Mm -hmm. and all that goes to defining a situation that does now has this con uh, is is uh um more abstractable from immediate experience um uh, but then has this this sense of self giving that steady cons, uh, consistency, um, you know, that maybe is needed to to consistently remember who, what's the difference between me and you and the world and groups and others. Right. You know, maybe various types of psychosis is when that starts to break down. Right. a bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and if, in fact, um, if we go, went back to um, Ian McGilchrist talking about the left and right hemispheres, you can yeah. almost think of of the of the. Um, the left hemisphere, being the one that's that's more language oriented, it actually produces vocal um, language more clearly and categorizes, um, and is sort of becomes the me, and maybe gets over focused on the me. But the left hemisphere, I mean, the right hemisphere may be more the I sense mm-hmm. of context and and uh, so then there's you know, this concept. dialogue
0: dialogue yeah 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 and and does a me does meanness uh grow and accumulate more strength of self knowledge and awareness as as one progresses through life
1: yeah yeah and we talked about that a little bit um he he could look at um i think he used the term socialization to talk mm-hmm. about um certainly child development or if if he didn't use that term that's certainly the term that was used by by you know sociologists and who who built from me um into this domain of of um, um symbolic interactionism and, and social psychology so socialization um is that you know that basically describes that that process of learning language role taking role playing um but then, you know, from there, the the specific other becomes what Mead calls the generalized other. Um, so you start thinking of of um, uh, social principles not because certain people have told you what they are, but because they um, they are you know what one ought to do in this abstract sense. So uh-huh. you get into morals on the one hand, ethics. Um, and and those moral um as you learn new moral principles they actually in turn start to alter yourself to a degree so that you start acting more along those lines of, of moral principles based on maybe they're more abstracting diversal care characteristics than when you were a child you were doing a, a thing mm-hmm. just because someone told you to and you're going to get punished mm-hmm. um so and, and you can look at um start to characterize social culture in in those terms to some mm-hmm. degree um we can look at practice in the same way um uh you know initially you're learning a thing in terms of its specifics um yep. and it takes lots of conscious acts to 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 learn you know how to how to swing your golf club
0: Yep, <laughs> it goes
1: it, it descends into um it It sends quickly and it tends to send quickly into something that is less conscious and can be done um you know ideally when you're swinging the club you're doing it from the eye and that first level consciousness, not trying to talk through it as you're as you're <laughs> making your swing, yeah because that never works
0: um never 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 <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you know as as you develop uh or um you know have to express your practice or 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 in the active learning done through conversation, then you have that, that, um, bringing back that kind of the me in relation to the practice. And then it descends back into the I of actually living through the practice. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that constant, constant exchange. Wow.
0: That's a lot going on. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, um, I know I'm watching my clock, but I have to ask one of those questions that will take another hour to answer, or maybe not. Uh, There's a lot going on. <laughs> <laughs> and and um, I know I'm watching my clock, but I have to ask one of those questions that will take another hour to answer, or maybe not. Uh, when we think of languaging, we're thinking of formulating words words themselves uh what are words and what uh, what use are they in this uh development of I and in me
1: um well it is well it is a, a larger conversation in a way but um I think what I like to think of words or to develop language itself um you know so, some sometimes people might think oh well the 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 domain of words or language it seems to be so persistent um and shared over time so that you know um you know a million people could speak the same millions of people could speak the same language uh, that only varies by dialect and words Mm -hmm. gee it seems like that must be its own self organized almost living system on its own yeah um I would I would argue against that. I think that um, there, there's a sense uh, in which language is 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 certainly emergent from any one person. No one person can invent a language and have it work uh, no. with someone else without them hearing gibberish. Sometimes mm-hmm. twins can do 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 it on their own, yeah. um, but. But it's just it's hard for them to teach anyone else. So, but I I like to think of the words themselves similar to um, the firing patterns of the brain. So, so we talked a little bit about the neuronal group, my idea was that it's, um, you know, to some extent, a a neuronal group becomes the persistent, you know, hardwired pattern of habitual actions. Mm -hmm. But the acts are really just the firing patterns, they're very ephemeral. Um, And I think these words used in language have that same type of ephemeral nature, even though they're very persistent. What I talked about in all our early podcasts, social inaction is the real making of, is, is, is what's important about words, how words are used in social interaction. Is That's that what's important. Immediate constructed ephemeral sense of mutual understanding achieved in which the words become almost secondary to the ability to use words just then for how yes. they need to be yes um and by virtue of doing that the words themselves can persist so that they are more of the hard you know i guess more of the hardwired basis eventually um, yeah yeah eventually but to a degree it doesn't it that doesn't matter if um, when you're actually trying to figure out how people are doing things with words, yes, and that's why I think the you know the social isn't its own living system it's mm-hmm. it's more of an achievement which which I've called enact social action
0: we, through this exchange, you know turns of talk, as you call mm-hmm. it, uh, my emotion uh tells me that i'm 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 sort of getting it i'm I'm happy. With how the conversation went and how I feel in it, you know, the relationship has has grown. So, choice of words is words themselves of aren't anything, as you say. They're they're ink on pages, or even things that hang in your memory until you use them. And when you use them in a social moment when, with others. Now, you, you have a sense of whether the choices of words that you've used worked or not, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I think another way to approach it
1: in, in kind of a, um, keeping with this dynamic th- thought is to, is to keep, is to, a, a particular word is a strong constraint for the mm. moment. Mm. Um, you could think of it as systems of, of very strong, persistent constraint in the in the range of actions one might do with that symbolic gesture as it comes out for it to be useful for others um so so if I say um in some words could have multiple meanings like um or are used for various things like connecting um parts of speech like pronouns or 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 conjunctions of things so that's where I think we'll get into our next conversation looking more at how conversation um is a construction in which words are just pieces of the puzzle but there's so much else that has to be done with them to make them work that i love that again you're not thinking of the word as a symbol that contains instructions Mm
0: -hmm.
1: which is which is easy to think of yeah which would normally you thought of it's it's like it's like we used to think about dna dna contains the instructions for for creating a a human or duplicating Mm -hmm. a cell now the more modern thought of uh, dna is almost the opposite it's like as as um the cells and the and the people are and 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 animals are reproduced the dna is almost uh, uh, uh Uh, what's left over (laughs) yeah it's there it persists but it doesn't make a a bit of difference unless there's this interaction that's making it real in in terms of of the metabolism of the moment and the same goes with this enacted social domain of of conversation um and that and uh i think we can line up again some some more detailed conversation to look at we can see how what many, many layers of constraint. And, um, you know, kind of uh, what 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 people have to fit in, in order to make talk work, the words are just one part, but there's so much more that you can really see when you look that that you get the idea of what a, a, a construction this is, it's not at all like a mechanism like a computer program where the word contains its instructions of what to do.
0: It's all achieved in the moment. This may be, as again, time is is uh, the factor here, but th- uh, this may be m- one of the ways to look at the difference uh, in something that is produced through artificial intelligence mm-hmm. uh, and what we do in the moment with conversation. Uh, yeah, artificial intelligence is, is a beginning a middle, and middle of the end. And when a particular object of artificial intelligence appears, it's finished. Right. Uh, it doesn't learn. It doesn't adapt. And in, what we're doing when we're in conversation is we're we're engaged in forming a bond and and. Uh, deepening our understanding and words are part of that but we have the advantage because five minutes later we could be talking about and doing something altogether different yeah and, yeah, and coming up with something very creative that no massive computer program has yet been able to do.
1: Yeah, yeah, because it's usually going by completely different principles. Where, so that's why I've been spending so many podcasts on on the basics of trying to get this sense of di- of uh, self-organizing In uh, the systems moment. dynamics an actionist approach to to, to yep. be able to get to this point where we can now look at language and not get stuck on um kind of the, the old mechanistic symbolic um, way of thinking about it but have something that flows um um directly out of basics of biology and neurophysiology um, and doesn't add anything magic to to the social world and yet can treat it treat it as it is um, by looking closely at the dynamics of conversation
0: well that's what we'll do the next time and we've done it every time but we'll definitely t- build from here David this has been uh, you know you've done it again you <laughs> open these tired old eyes to to uh, a deep, a, a, a much um, more exciting awareness of of everything that we put in our segments of these podcast of my podcast. It's just because uh, I'm out after that in other conversations and of Zoom and other situations, and it. And I keep hearing people nowadays saying things like you we've talked about, and now it sounds like they finally discovered, <laughs> you know, that action itself has a uh, a lot more to it than uh, meets the eye. So yeah, and Mead had it um, hundred years ago. <laughs> that's son, you know that's son of a gun. Hey. Uh, and then another conversation will be how is it that some uh, ri- seemingly original thinkers like George Herbert Mead come up with that stuff? They hey. they didn't have all the fancy tools that we have. They couldn't yeah. Google anything. They couldn't. I mean, it was. Well, I talked about
1: it a little bit, but I won't go into it. But last time, uh, if you missed our last podcast, we did talk about how Mead's world, you know, back then wasn't a computer world. No. It, it, you know, they're machines, but it's still the biology uh, perspective was, was there to be had in a way that we keep forgetting these days.
0: Yeah. So here we go. Thank you again, Dave. Yeah look forward to our next conversation. Thanks for listening to The Practice Podcast where we discuss practice with a capital P. If you'd like to hear more, listen in on Spotify, Automatic, and Apple Podcasts or go to inactionresearch.com slash podcast dash page. And if you'd like to learn more about social inaction and the nature of practice, head over to inactionresearch.com. Thank you for supporting this show. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Oh, oh, how could I have forgotten? Our digital book, On Practice as a Way of Being, is now available. You'll find it online at www.mylibrary.world. I worked on that book after Peter passed away, and I think you will find it a unique and very, very mobile reading experience since it's wherever your screen is in hand.